Good evening. Welcome to my home in Playa Vista, California, near Marina Del Rey in Los Angeles. My name is Nancy Beecham. I am a compulsive overeater and a hundred pounder. And I've been an Overeaters Anonymous since June 28, 1976, when I was rolled and taken into Beverly Hills High School, literally. And I have been maintaining for 44 years, approximately, uh, maybe 43 years, I guess, about 150 pound weight loss now. Um, I don't know where to start. Let me just show you a few pictures. Can you see these? That's me, and here you go. Let me just say that I spent my life from the time I was a very small child being extremely heavy. I was bullied and laughed at and poked and picked, and you know I was the kind of kid that when Jim came, oh my God, you know I would the boys would run to the end of the line if we were having a dance because they didn't want to be paired off with me. And so I began to fantasize and my entire life was lived vicariously through other people that I pretended I was. It got so bad at one point that I was arrested for helping these guys roll dope across the border because I was so lonely and I had convinced myself I was going to be a famous reporter and I was doing research for the narcotics officers. And they would always pick me up whenever there would be a bust and they'd say, what's this that little Jewish girl doing here in Hollywood at this narcotics scene, and they tell me to go home. And but one day I was there for too long, and in those days, if you had stuff in your car, they could pick you up. And you know, there was a time when I got so desperate that I stole all the silver out of my mom's house and I hid in a hotel. And my girlfriend's brother was a doctor, and we literally broke into his office. And we took all the pregnant urine of women, which was a way that you gave yourself shots to lose weight. Of course, you went on a 500 um, uh, calorie diet with, with breadsticks and yogurt. So naturally, you were going to lose weight. We were convinced it was those shots. Now, you know, the police came again and took me back to jail. And, you know, now that I'm abstinent and sober 44 years, I can tell you, I can remember the terror in my mom's face, especially my dad. I'm amazing that he didn't have a heart attack. And I'm sure that part of his dying young was not because my younger brother was born a pound and 10 ounces and was blind. I believe most of it was because of me and my behavior. This disease, the food soothed me and calmed me and kept me alive until one day it became a greater problem than the problem I had. And I think I want to tell you, and I always usually say when I start to talk, is that Overeaters Anonymous did not open up the gates of heaven and let me in. It absolutely let me the gates of hell and let me out. And I want to make sure that all of you sitting in this room tonight, that you feel a part of this meeting and what I'm about to say. Because see, the truth is I was very anorexic because I denied myself love and kindness and friends and warmth. I thought I wasn't worthy. I thought a kid like me who was so ashamed and so desperately lonely could never get anything real. So I accepted anybody, whether they beat me up. You know, the first guy that got me, I decided in a bathtub one day that maybe I could have a kid. Maybe I could get pregnant somehow. And maybe this kid would love me forever. Well, it was a great idea, but I went out of the bathtub and, and got pregnant. 
And when I told this guy about it, he threw me down the flight of stairs and I said, oh, he's having a bad day because there was just no way I could face the fact of what I had done. And I remember that shotgun wedding and my mother, you know, refusing to come. And I remember the look on that child's face after I got into recovery. I had two little girls by then, and, and I went on national TV to talk about how wonderful it was that I was going to get well and Overeaters Anonymous. We were all blacked out, of course, and I talked about having an illegitimate kid and all these things I did. That child wouldn't go to school for months. She was so horrified, so it took a very long time, not necessarily for me to lose the weight, but for me to become a human being, for me to become a woman of dignity. For me to become a woman that you wouldn't be ashamed to introduce to your family. Because that's what this disease did to me. I believe besides being anorexic and denying myself, I was very bulimic. Because everything I did was to excess. I ate too much. I drank too much. I went with boys too much. Five minutes. Of course, the biggest problem that I had is that five, that's ten minutes left, right? That's five. Yeah, ten minutes left, right? Okay. The very problem for me was that I had no ability to make any decisions that were healthy. And one thing that this program has done is that it's restored in me the idea of complete and utter sanity. And it showed me kind of in a very interesting way that life can be very simple. It can be very calm because I was so addicted to chaos. I had to be going up and down and moving all the time. And when I got here, I joined every program there was. You know, there was Emotional Health Anonymous and Al-Anon. And, and I, we were all told to get into Alcoholics Anonymous. 44 years ago, they told us that sugar was just another form of alcohol and that we couldn't drink. And I'm so glad they did that. Okay. So what happened to me, I believe, is that I had failed ridiculously, ridiculously in life. I failed in everything I did. I failed myself. I failed others. I hurt a lot of people. I fell down a lot. But I have risen over and over again because of this book called The 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I begin to practice in all of my fairs the principles in those steps. And I hope for every one of you that you'll learn them. And I have them here. You'll learn to be honest and to have hope and trust. You'll learn to get some faith and commitment. You'll learn to have courage, integrity, and trust. You'll get some willingness and humility, brotherly love, justice, and compassion. And the 10th step that you do in this meeting that you'll get some perseverance, the 11th, some spirituality and patience, and 12, you'll begin to live in service and charity, and that you too will begin to walk free. You know, on a lonely day I learned here, doesn't matter what happened, to make a cup of tea and to write a gratitude list. And by the time I call for people and ask them how they are, I realize how lucky I really am. And you know, I am so grateful now I am so grateful that I was laughed at and stalked. I am grateful that I had a mastectomy and lost a breast. I am grateful that I live with a man who beat the heck out of me. 
I am grateful that I have a child who hasn't talked to me for 20 years. I am grateful that I have a granddaughter who got in a plane and tried to find me after 17 years. I am grateful because the truth is I held myself together with dignity, doing service in this program, becoming self-supporting through my own contributions, going to work, getting a job, cleaning up my act, being a member on the road of this program in the middle. And when that granddaughter showed up knocking at my door, she found a woman who was kind and loving and responsible and who she could come to be with if she needed. And what a great thing that was. I learned how not to fall apart when a neighbor gets ill or a friend dies. I learned how to be there for them, but not to have me change what I do. And I learned to have faith. And I believe the most important thing I learned here is truthfully how to have prayer and meditation in my life. Because for me, it's all about the 11th step to me is not necessarily about prayer and meditation. It's about a conscious contact. It's about letting go. It's about surrender. When I came to this program, I was full of ego. I was full of resistance. I was full of anger. And I read that book and that book said, we must do these things. We must abstain in order to work this program. And I immediately got a food plan. I immediately got a sponsor because I believe this whole program hinges on one hand in a sponsor and one hand in a newcomer. And I think it's all of us putting our hands together that gives us the support, the emotional anchor. And I think the 11th step is truly about emotional sobriety. You've come to a time in your life where you've worked this program so hard that you begin to reap the rewards. I had very slow sobriety. I got in trouble year after year after year. And I had a sponsor that when I got in a giant car accident with kids in the car and I called her up, Jean said to me, well, dear, what didn't you want to call and talk to me about today? And the truth is I had sponsors who were harsh. They were very difficult, but I had one thing that was a constant. I abstained no matter what. And I heard this philosophy that there is no person big enough or small enough. There is no person, place, or thing to make me take that first compulsive bite and has held me in good stead. I got an amazing job at Los Angeles Magazine working for a local television station. And you know what? My sponsor said to me, well, dear, you're in advertising. You're, it's all about eat, drink, and using. You can't stay there. You have to quit that job. Maybe they'll let you do something lower than that because you need to go to more meetings from nine to five. You have inventories to write and other things to do. And I said, yes, ma'am. The truth is I had to change my people, places, and things. I had set my life up in every way to, rest, to have myself surrounded by people that helped me to be crazy. So if I was gonna change and be different, I had to go through a long, empty period of being lonely until I could replace it with healthier things. And now with food, I hold it up. And if it's not, <laughs> not going to nurture my body, it can't go in. And with people, I moved to a beautiful condo. I can never explain to you how I could afford this. I have no education. The food that I ate, the pills that I took to, to lose weight, they just knocked out my consciousness. But somehow, step by step, 
always asking questions, always getting help, always surrendering to somebody else to help me. I learned how to do these things. And during this pandemic, I am soaring. Most of the old timers are, because we are ready for this. We know how to be uncomfortable and we know how to handle change. And this is a time of growth for us. We're reading all the old books and we're taking care of our health and we're walking where I can. We're doing yoga on Zoom and we're sharing at meetings all over the world. But there's one thing that we're seeing that's very sad. All this suffering and all this struggling. This isn't what this program is about. This is a program of happy, joyous and free, of blowing bubbles, playing with Play-Doh, playing with little toys, helping your neighbor. And I've opened myself up. In fact, my friend Carol is on here. And when she was able, for weeks and weeks, she did a lot of shopping for me. And there's people that are coming. I just mentioned on Facebook in my community that I need some apples. There's a bag of apples. But if I didn't ask, I wouldn't have the apples. So the truth is, I've learned to start asking for help here. Took me quite a while. And you know, one of my kids is slowly starting to talk to me. She's still very angry. She's in their 50s, but she thinks she's five and she's living back then. I can't, there's nothing I can do except stay here. And when that granddaughter came in, she went and opened my closets and she said to me, Grandma, there's no drunk men in those closets like my grandma said you had. And she said, your house is clean and beautiful and you've got wonderful friends. She was shocked because that's not what she was told. But the truth is, this is the program where we find out what the truth is. And I think for me that this is really about connecting to something else. It's about giving up self-reliance. It's about learning how to focus on a thought and just be still. Because if I hadn't learned how to meditate and how to sit in a conscious contact with the sit on my butt, make room for the deep thought and just be quiet in a very simple way, I would never have heard the good that people were beginning to say to me. This is a very negative disease. And now I have learned, if I may steal from you the phrase, to sit with the good. When somebody sends me a beautiful card, I read it over and over. When somebody calls and says something nice on my tape, I leave it so I can rehear it. So I guess some of the things, there's not too much you can say in 15 minutes, but I can say that Oh my goodness, let me find something here I could close with. I'm all over the place here. Um, here's something that I heard somebody say to me the other day. I sought my soul. My soul I could not free. I sought my God, my God I could not see. I sought my brother and I found all three. This is a program of taking direction. If any of you are new, if any of you are struggling, I hope like me, you get into God's grace and you get a sponsor and start taking direction from somebody who's worked this program very hard and very long. And I wanna close by telling you, this is a time when we can all be so happy because we have a purpose. And I think every one of you that is out there that I'm talking to right now, I'll close with this. I think you're courageous. I see you all. I think you're courageous. 
I think you're amazing. I think it took a lot to get in these seats. And I think all you have to do is join together and help somebody else. Because I think the people who light up other people's lights are the luckiest people in the world. And I have had little girls and little and older men come to my door and say thank you to me for sharing in a meeting or saying something that 10 years ago they heard. And you know what? What else in life could we ask for? to change the trajectory of somebody's life who's going the wrong way. So we're all on the right path together. And I thank you for being here and listening to me tonight. I wish all of you a happy holiday. And if any of you want to know, please, I put my phone number by my name. There's an amazing Halloween meeting that's gonna go on at six o'clock Halloween about going trick or treating and not eating candy. Everybody's wearing costumes. There's a sponsorship workshop from nine to six at the LA Intergroup tomorrow. There's just so many activities. So please call and join in so you can be part of us. Thanks.